0: Who am I going to get married to? How many kids am I going to have? How much money can I save? How many cars can I own? How much respect can I demand? And they don't really have any concern about the future, eternity. Because if they really did, they wouldn't read Revelation. It's the final chapter.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopark.com. Join us for a live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation.
0: We believe Revelation 20 and all the prophecies of a physical millennial, right? When, when it writes it in Scripture, we believe it. it says what it means and it means what it says. So we believe that Jesus, when he returns at the end of Revelation, right, Revelation 19, he's going to return with the church that's raptured and establish a thousand-year physical rule and reign. We'll rule and reign with him, right? So we take these things literally. But what many churches do and we'll get into the details a little bit later I don't want to spend a lot on these details I'm going to give you the whole thing about two comings of Christ what they will say is that well the first coming came to establish a spiritual authority and so Jesus is now ruling and reigning spiritually in the life of the believers and he is, right? now we know this that he's ruling and reigning spiritually at the rapture of the church what's he going to do? He's going to look for all those with that down payment of the Holy Spirit in them. He's going to give them a resurrected body, right? And they're going to be raised with them, marriage supper of the Lamb, and will rule and reign with them when he returns on this earth. It's going to be a physical rule and reign. We take that literally. The reason I mark this to you is I want to go now to Revelation 1 verse 19. And this is the Revelation roadmap, okay? I'm throwing a lot of information at you, but we're going to repeat this. So we have kind of like a panoramic view of Revelation as we get into the parts, okay? So Revelation 1.19, for us who are futurists, we believe that from Revelation 4 all the way to the end is future. The amillennialists don't believe that. They believe that many of it is ongoing right now, that he's actually ruling and reigning now spiritually, right? And so they have what? Symbolized much of Revelation. We take much of Revelation literally and We think that it's future from chapter 4, verse uh, 1, all the way to the end, right? And so this is the outline that we go by in Revelation 1, verse 19. Notice he says, write, and he's telling John to write these things down, right? He says, write the things which you have seen. Now, what did he just see? The revelation of Jesus. This is Revelation chapter 1. And so he wrote those things down, right? And then he says, and the things which are. What are the things which are? Now, the things which are, the present tense. So the things which are in John's time that he wrote this was what? Was the time of the church, wasn't it? When did the church start? At Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. When did the church end? Well, it hasn't ended yet. We're still the church, right? So you see, right? He says, write the things which you have seen. So this is the revelation of Jesus. Chapter 1, he's written those things down, and he says, and the things which are. And so when we get into chapters two and three, who's he writing to? The churches. Seven of them. And we're going to talk, talk about why there's seven. Okay? And he gives a list of them, right? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, and uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so they're going to see we we're going to see seven separate letters to the churches. Now we're going to talk about this a little bit later and into next week, right? The the number seven is completion. And so I believe it's not just specifically to these seven churches, but the church at large, right? The complete church. And so, and the things which are chapters two and three. It's a message to the churches. How you are doing, right? There are things that he commends them for, and there are things that he rebukes them for. And I gotta tell you, people, this church can relate to all of them. This is any church, right? There are things we're doing right, and there are things we're doing around. So when he says, write the things which you have seen, that's Revelation chapter 1, and the things which are, well, in reference to John, the things which are the time of the church, right? So that's the letter to the churches. That's chapters 2 and 3. And then notice it says, and the things which will take place after this. After what? After the time of the church. And so when you get to Revelation 4, you're going to see this, that the church is in heaven. So you see from Revelation chapter 4, all the way to Revelation chapter 22. It's all future, future from our time now. Okay, so this is the Revelation roadmap, And this is what we, uh, with this type of interpretation, it's a, it's a fancy name I won't even get into, but we believe that there is a time of the church and there's a rapture of the church. They give you those verses in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. The church is raptured and then it begins a seven-year tribulation. So we believe between Revelation 2 and 3, I mean, Revelation 3 and 4, the church is raptured. and We'll talk about that when we get there. The church is in heaven in Revelation 4. We literally take it as that, right? The elders that are on the th- right there on the throne. Revelation 4 and 5 is a picture of the church in heaven. And, you know, Revelation 6 begins what? The loosing of the seals of the scroll. That's the tribulation period. And we believe in a literal tribulation Okay, so Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is the tribulation period. And we believe in a literal seven-year tribulation period. And then after that, which is future, is his return with the saints, with the church that was raptured just before the tribulation. And so Jesus is going to return with the armies of heaven, and then Revelation 20 is the millennial kingdom with the thousand-year reign of Christ. We believe in a literal thousand year reign so that's what we're called millennialists but there are many in the church that are ah millennialists they don't believe in a literal thousand year reign they believe that jesus is ruling and reigning spiritually now which he is right but they don't believe in a literal thousand year reign upon this earth we take it literally we believe it god means what he says god says what he means right And then after Revelation 20, at the end is the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about that. And then the eternal state, the new Jerusalem. That's when there's no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Okay, we'll talk about all that. See, that's the Revelation roadmap. And it's really in a general way given in Revelation 119, we believe. Write the things which you have seen. The unveiling of Jesus in chapter 1. And the things which are, the time of the church, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And the things which will take place after this. After what? After the time of the church. So the church's rapture at the end of chapter 3. And into chapter 4, we see the church in heaven. That's all future. And it's very interesting. As much as you see the word church in Revelation 1, and especially in Revelation 2 and 3, you're not going to find it again in Revelation after that. Except for the conclusion. And when you read that in Revelation chapter twenty, the conclusion is this reminding of the church to be faithful to read what I've just given you. Okay, so why do you think the church is omitted from chapter four on, uh, from chapter four on basically because the church is out of the picture? Okay, all right. So I've laid a lot on you. All right, I've given you kind of this sweeping, kind of panoramic roadmap of Revelation. But knowing the whole is going to help us to understand now these parts as we start to dissect them, okay? So the revelation roadmap, it's his second coming, the unveiling, right? There's a roadmap to his second coming, right? We believe that the rapture of the church will occur. It could occur right now, any day. Nothing needs to happen on the prophetic calendar before the church is raptured. When he raptures the church, all those that have been born again, that's the down payment, the Holy Spirit. He's going to look for everyone with the Holy Spirit in them, and he's going to give them a resurrected body, rapture of the church, right? And so not only is he going to reign spiritually, he's going to reign, but physically in a resurrected body. And then we'll be with the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven for this seven-year tribulation, but he's going to be administering judgment upon this earth. Why? He's going to purge this earth from sin so when he returns with his bride, the church, they're going to roll and reign for a thousand years. And that's the millennial kingdom. At the end of the millennial kingdom, there's going to be the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about that in a bit. And then after that, the eternal state, okay? So that's the revelation road map. All right, so it says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, this is John the Apostle we know, right? And so it's very interesting. John, he spent a lot of time with the veil Jesus, remember? He's the the Apostle whom Jesus loved. Remember, he kind of just has his head on Jesus' bosom there at the Last Supper? Isn't that interesting? So... It is this John, right, that knew Jesus intimately as he was veiled. He's now what? Seeing Jesus unveiled. Can you imagine that? So what better, right? What better person, right, to record this? I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. Now, I I like how he describes it. He's our brother, right? He's just like us and companion in the tribulation. What is he saying? He's saying that, you know, this life is going to be tribulation. Right? And so, we need to understand this, people. I think, especially in this country, we think that, you know, as a Christian or as an American, we deserve to not have trials and tribulation. Well, that is just not true. And you can study the life of John and the life of all the apostles. Actually, John is the only apostle that wasn't killed for his faith. But he was persecuted. And we can see insight into He's persecuted. Why? He's sent, he's exiled on the island of Patmos, okay? So I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. You know, we can relate to that, right? In a sense, in this time of the church, there's going to be tribulation. There has been and there will be until the time we're raptured, okay? He's a companion. Just because you're spiritual doesn't mean you're not going to have tribulation. Matter of fact, you might have more, right? More attack, right? And so, the question not so much is, Lord, take the tribulation away from them. Now, we do pray for that, right? But help us to get through the tribulation, right? And we've noted this, right? So often the Lord has a purpose in the tribulation. I know for me, and I'm just kind of a, a wimpy kind of guy, you know, when tribulation comes, it's, oh, Lord, right? It doesn't take me long to, to respond. But there are people that are really hard-headed, but they need to be taken out before they get their, <laughs> and, you know, the Apostle Paul is one of them, right? I mean, Jesus himself had a appear and just strike him down. So we see, right, through tribulation, right, we come to know Christ and tr- through tribulation, right, he fulfills his calling upon our life. We have to have kind of this view. Why is there tribulation? Well, oftentimes it's because of my hard head, because of my rebelliousness. He needs to get our attention. So he says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Okay, so think about that. Oftentimes, right, when it says tribulation and kingdom, to become part of his kingdom, right, is because of tribulation, right? That drove us to receive Christ. But notice it says, and patience of Jesus Christ. During that time when you were doing all your dark things, right, Jesus was very patient with you, right? But then as he watches you, right, and then as you kind of get further and further along, right, he watches you and then finally you repent, right? And then now he allows you, right, through trials and tribulation and growth because you know it's not only he wants to save you very important people not only does jesus want to say he wants to use you now how are you going to be used if you're just saved now being saved is a great thing but how are you going to be used if you're just saved and you just kind of squeak by in I mean, Jesus talked about that, right? In the wood, hay, and stubble. Remember the uh, the seed judgment of God? they are going to be those that just get in, right? And they're going to get in naked because everything's going to burn. They, they made it in, but in this life of faith, they weren't used. Why? Because they never were changed, you know? And so kingdom and patience of Jesus, God is patient with us. Jesus is patient with us. And I, I like that, but you know, there's a responsibility in being saved. It really is. It's a gift. But with a gift, there's a responsibility. And we're going to be held accountable to that responsibility. What have we done with what Christ has given us? People just throw around, I am in the spirit, right? And the Lord showed me. But John Walworth he kind of takes this and he, and he says, it's, this means carried beyond normal sense into a state where God could reveal supernaturally the contents of this book. So he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord's day is the first day of the week. So this would be what? Sunday, okay? And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Okay, so he's there on the island of Patmos. He has this vision, but he hears this loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, And we do know that seven is the number of what? Completion. So in that, I think we can take a step back. And if seven is the number of completion, right? It's not only written specifically to these churches, but to the church at large, right? And as we read these seven letters, there's going to be things that apply to us, all seven churches. There's commendations, right? Things they did right. And there's rebuke, things that they do wrong. And we can see that in every church, right? Through the church age. Now, verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that, I, uh, that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, it's interesting. He sees seven golden lampstands. Now, you know, when you look at, in the Old Testament, there's always a vision of this candelabrum. One lampstand was seven what? Seven burning lamps. Now, this is seven separate lampstands. So it's almost like an individual, like a, uh, stand with a, with, a, with a candle on. It's kind of interesting. To, but nevertheless, it's seven. Now, one of the commentators say, well, maybe it perhaps, and again, this is conjecture, because Israel was one, right? God, seven, the number of completion, right? And so the representative Israel is that one nation. But in the Gentile, it's represented by seven churches. I know, something. This, again, these are things that are conjectures, right? Because we have this picture. But we do know seven is the number of completion. And he does say that these seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, he says that later on. Now, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So he's going to give a description of the unveiling of Jesus. Now, I want you to note this. Jesus, he's in the midst of these seven what? Golden lampstands. Isn't that good? So what does that mean? Jesus is in the midst of his church. Because we know the lampstands of the church. And we know the lampstands, they give the light. What gives the light to the lampstands? is the olive oil, right? So we know that the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. We know that the light is God. And Jesus, right, he stands in the midst of them. Now, when you backtrack to the Old Testament, what did the priests do? What was some of the work of the priests? They would go in the tabernacle. they go in the temple. They'd make sure those lights never go out. That was their job. How'd you like that job? Go in there hey. These lights never go out. Especially in the tabernacle, there's no windows. So the light was what? By these candles, and then in the Holy of Holies, the kind of glory of God was the light. Okay, so it's interesting. So who gives the light? Well, that's God, right? Who gives the oil? That's the Holy Spirit. And so it's interesting. These golden lampstands are just vessels of the light and of the Spirit, isn't it? And Jesus is in the midst of them. And so the church is just a vessel, And hopefully we're a vessel that really is promoting the light and the spirit. Sometimes we're not, though, right? Sometimes we're getting in all kinds of fight, can't get along. But that's the picture, right? The lamps and Jesus in the midst, right? He's the one that's making sure that the light and the oil is continual, right? And so one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So here we go, the description. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Can you imagine that? What is it, eyes like a flame of fire? You know, he can see in you. I don't know if that's kind of a comforting thing or kind of a a sobering thing. He can see in you, your every thought. His head and hair were white like wool as wide as his eyes, like a flame of fire, verse 15. His feet were like fine brass. So brass is the metal of what? Judgment. And you can see that in the Old Testament. You know, as you approach, right, the tabernacle or the temple, you notice the metals go from brass to gold. Brass is what? Judgment. And so, you know, that um, uh, the altar, right, where they would, uh, would burn sacrifices, right, that's made out of brass. But by the time you get into the temple... Most of it's gold, right? So the purification, right, through the sacrifices, the metal of brass, right? And it kind of comes in right there and then it purifies, right? And so gold. And so it's interesting here, it says his feet were like fine brass. And so this unveiled Jesus is the Jesus that's going to judge. I don't know if you've recognized that, right? Jesus came the first time to save the second time he's going to come to what? To judge. To rule and reign. Before he rules and reign, judgment's going to happen. And that's what we see in the tribulation. He's going to purge the earth from sin. And there are many that are saying, how long, O oh Lord? Maybe we say that. How long, O oh Lord? Before you're going to right this wrong. Well, there'll be a day, right? And he's going to come on a white horse and he's going to judge. The sword's going to come out and mouth; He's going to start to, start to judge. Right? His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Can you imagine that? Don't need a microphone. He's just going to speak, and everybody's going to hear him. He had in his hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp, two edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Okay, so he's going to say that these seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. We'll talk about it when we get to that verse. But then notice he says, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Now, this word sword, it's, um, it's the Greek word, and it, it means a large sword. Okay, now there's another Greek word that refers to more like a dagger, and that was that's the one we see in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and then also um, in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me give you the exact references. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 and Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17. It uses the word sword as well, but it's a different word than this one. This one is Ramphia, right? It's a large sword, right? And so we're going to see this word Ramphia used when he comes again, Revelation 19, the sword of his mouth, This big sword is gonna just lay this earth from sin. It's Ramphia. Okay? And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Anybody look directly in the sun lately on a sunny day? It ain't gonna happen, right? Can you imagine? Jesus. And that's what it says there, right? In the New Jerusalem, we don't have the sun or the moon. Why? Because Jesus, the Lord is his light. Isn't that wonderful? And so, the sun shining in all his brother. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Okay, so this is the unveiled Jesus what he looks like, and the power that he has, okay? I want you to notice when John approached him and saw him this way, now John knew him, veiled, but he saw him this way, what did he do? Wasn't that warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Whoa, he hit the floor. It's Kind of like Isaiah, right? Whoa, it was me. Jeremiah too, right? And Ezekiel, when they were brought before the throne of God, boy, they bowed, didn't they? This is the sense here. But I want you to notice this, that Jesus, what he touches, John, right? And he lifts him up. Okay, so this is the, I guess, the the radical diversity of the Lord. Right? His glory, his majesty, right? There's going to be fear in you, but then the love and the compassion. Now, I, I can't even comprehend. I can't even get my mind around it. But this is the unveiled Jesus, right? And then we have in verse 19 what we talked about. Write these things. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And then verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lamps. So he tells us what they are, right? And so even though he uses symbolism, right, he tells us what uh, these symbolize. And he says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Okay, so the lampstands are the churches. These seven ones are going to write letters to. Okay, and as I mentioned, right? The church isn't the light, and the church isn't the spirit, but they're vessels of. Right? And so the church is symbolized by lampstand. The lampstand needs what? They're just the vessel. They need what? The fire, and they need the, the oil. Right? Who's the fire? It's the Lord, and the oil is the spirit. Okay, so. The lampstand is just a vessel up. So we ought to be vessels up. That's the picture. But here it says that the, um, the seven stars, right? They're the seven angels. The time is near. What, what it's meaning is not so much that it's uh, going to start like in an hour or start in a, a day or, or a month. What it's saying is that once it starts, it's going to happen fast. A tachometer, okay? It's going to happen really fast. That's what he's saying. And so... He said, blessed is he who reads. Because, you know, people, if the rapture is going to occur today, it's going to happen fast. You understand? The time is near. And the question has to be, are we ready? Are we ready? And, you know, one of the things I believe, and in closing, how we make ourselves ready is to read Revelation and to understand the final chapter. I mentioned this last week, and I think it's so important. It's important to know how it's all going to end. Who goes to a movie and says, you know what? I'm going to leave 10 minutes before it ends. But you know what? Most Christians do that with Revelation. They've never read Revelation. They've never studied Revelation. They have no understanding of Revelation. How do I know that? Well, you're looking at somebody. I spent, I don't know, 15 years as a Christian. I read Revelation. I had no understanding. I said, well, I'm not going to read that again. But you know what? You can understand it. And once you understand it, you understand the final chapter. And all the scriptures connect, I believe. Now, we can't understand everything, but we can understand it enough to know the final chapter. And I think that's the blessing, people. Knowing and understanding the final chapter changes how you live in the here and now.
1: Thanks again for joining us on our podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopark.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David.